0: The material shared within this podcast is based on the personal experiences and learnings of the presenter. Coloplast has paid the presenter for sharing this information. Nothing within this podcast is intended to be used as medical advice and or used to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to the Coloplast Professional Bowel and Bladder Matters Podcast where we explore various important topics related to ostomies and continence.
1: I am your host, Michelle Best. I am a Coloclass Clinical Consultant for Ostomy Care in North America. My background is as a registered nurse and a certified wound ostomy and continence nurse. Today's podcast guest is Dr. Elizabeth R. Raskin. She is a colorectal surgeon who is board certified in general and colon and rectal surgery. She is a fellow of both the American College of Surgeons and the American Society of Colon and Rectal Surgeons. Dr. Raskin is a master robotic surgeon and renowned surgical educator. She brings a wealth of experience in minimally invasive colorectal surgery and complex reoperative abdominal and pelvic surgery. With an expertise in inflammatory bowel disease, in particular, complex Crohn's disease, she specializes in bowel conservation and minimally invasive approaches. In addition to inflammatory bowel disease, she is an expert in the surgical management of primary and recurrent colon and rectal cancer, diverticulitis, and functional bowel problems and ostomy care. Currently, she is the surgical director of the Margolis Inflammatory Bowel Disease Program at Hoag Hospital in Newport Beach, California. Her general surgery residency was completed at Tufts New England Medical Center, and fellowship training in colorectal surgery followed at the University of Minnesota. After completing her training, she joined the faculty at the University of Minnesota and refined a broad set of technical skills under the mentorship of Dr. Stanley Goldberg. After seven years in Minnesota, Dr. Raskin moved west to California accepting a position as a staff surgeon in the Department of Surgery at Loma Linda University Medical Center and the Loma Linda Veterans Affairs Hospital. She joined the University of California at Davis Medical Center as the Chief of the Division of Colorectal Surgery. While there, Dr. Raskin was also the Director of Robotic Surgical Education and the Rectal Cancer Program Director for UC Davis's nationally accredited program. She also provided her expertise to the Committees for Advanced Recovery After Surgery, Surgical Site Infection Reduction, NSQIP, and the ISCR. As a researcher, Dr. Raskin has specific interests in the population science of diverticulitis, inflammatory bowel disease, ostomy creation and care, and surgical education. She has written and contributed to numerous peer-reviewed publications and textbooks, and has presented multiple national and international lectures on a wide array of colorectal topics. Dr. Raskin lectures, teaches, and trains surgeons of all levels, allied health representatives, and industry on robotics. She has been honored as Teacher of the Year in Surgery the Golden Scalpel by the Surgical Residence at Loma Linda Medical Center for her engaging and effective methods. In 2020, she won the Department of Surgery Leadership Award for being an outstanding faculty leader inside and outside of the operating room. Today's guest speaker is Janet Stoya Davis. She is a registered nurse, certified wound ostomy incontinence nurse, and a foot care nurse. Janet began her early career as a certified critical care registered nurse and has been a CWOCN since 1985, enjoying over 36 years in wound ostomy incontinence nursing. In 1996, she embarked in a private wound ostomy incontinence practice, first as a partnership and presently as a sole proprietor. Janet practices across the continuum, focusing on ostomy care, coupled with a passion for patients attaining their desired quality of life. While running outpatient ostomy clinics, she serves a variety of populations and challenges, adding a bit of spice to her practice. Janet lectures nationally and internationally and has published on quality of life of people living with an ostomy, as well as co-authored a home study course on wound management and healing and an educational video on common perineal skin injuries. She also participates in ostomy and incontinence-associated dermatitis research and actively participates with the WOCN society and industry to move ostomy care forward. Her peers in the Pacific Coast region of the United States have awarded her Enteral Stomal Therapy Nurse of the Year in 1996, the President's Award in 2000, and a Professional Education Award in 2004. Our topic today is part two of the series with Dr. Elizabeth Raskin and Janet Joya Davis, focusing on the use of a convex pouching system in the post-operative period. A national consensus. Welcome back, ladies, and thanks so much for meeting with us again. My
2: pleasure. Nice to see you both again.
1: We concluded part one by discussing survey results surrounding the use of post-op convexity. Janet, you had pointed out that the majority of nurses on the national consensus panel said that they would use convexity in the immediate post-op period, which was defined as zero to eight days after surgery. In your opinions, what is the value of this national consensus?
2: Giving permission to do what you think is right and putting the science behind it helps, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. the science is just just starting in this area, but I think you've kind of identified a place that we could be doing things better. And we can also enable nurses and physicians to do the right thing without fear of, oh, you're causing a problem that's going to result in a you know, deleterious issue with a patient's ostomy, I think giving them permission to do the right thing is what this science will
1: um, enable. I couldn't agree with you guys more about this. The first statement was that the primary goal is to have a reliable pouching system that prevents leakage. I, for one, appreciated that the article addressed any leakage, calling out undermining as also being leakage. But I believe the myth that was mentioned earlier really revolves around convexity. Uh, contributing to mucocutaneous separation. What was the panel discussion surrounding that?
3: The discussion that we had and was pretty unanimous, I think, or was unanimous in the panel was now we're giving, like you worded very well, Dr. Raskin, is that we given the permission by this that convexity is okay regardless of when the stoma was created, but even if that mucocutaneous separation occurs, we can deal with the wound care. Very seldom do you have a such a significant one that goes down to fascia. And if it goes down to fascia and you have that separation or necrosis stoma, you're going to call Dr. Baskin and say, hey, this, mm-hmm. this person needs to go back. So most of the time, the mucutaneous separations will resolve on their own. I think it's, and it's, was it really caused by the convexity? We don't have that data, but we know that many times we use convexity and nothing happens. I think mucutaneous separation is... Um, related more to the co-fat, comorbidities that the patient has, the condition of that patient's overall health and the condition of the, the belly, the amount of edema and all those things. So the bottom line is, is that the panel discussed that if a mucutaneous separation occurred, we can deal with the wound at, in wound healing. And the most important aspect is getting a good seal. That's our goal, is creating a secure seal to prevent devastation that happens emotionally to a patient and not even looking at the peristomal skin complications, but just the emotional impact that has on patients, especially with a new stoma. So we can deal with the mucutaneous separation. That is more probably, I believe, more related to the comorbidities that we see rather than the use of convexity or not. So, but the mucutaneous separation we can deal with. Use the convexity if you
2: need it. Our goal is to get a secure seal. And and what I would say about that is, it's not just the comorbidities, it's the technical way that the stoma has been created. So the construction Mm -hmm. of the ostomy can then lead to that separation. And and I'll give really concrete um, examples. When the suturing is too tight, you're creating ischemia at the level of the skin and the bowel wall. That can cause separation. When you have, created an asymmetric ostomy where the pressures are pulling one side versus the other, you can create separation. So obviously patients can have edema. They're in, let's say they're in florid uh, shock because of perforated diverticulitis. They're in, they're swollen because of chronic use of steroids. That's going to be that those comorbidities that make it difficult. But the technical aspects, I really want surgeons to be aware that What we do in the OR can then lead to that problem, and it's going to happen. It's just going to happen, and we can deal with that separation if it happens despite our best intentions, but if we can prevent the leakage and the having to reapply and pull off stoma bags and, and reapply them in that critical first couple of days, we can mitigate those issues with dehiscence, and those patients can then go on to heal and not have those issues down the road. So... I will continue to emphasize, the technical component has to be there, and then we have to do our parts in working together to make sure convexity, if it's, if it's available, um, is imp- implemented early. Mucotaneous separation is a small price to pay
3: to avoid peristomal skin complications, PMRC, and emotional distress of the patient.
1: I've heard murmurs around the country about different types of convexity that's recommended whether it be light or deep or soft or flexible versus firm, without any true definition of what those terms mean. Janet, you addressed it a little bit earlier, saying to select a barrier that fits the topography of the abdomen. I'd like to know your practical experience and if there was any discussion with the national consensus surrounding that.
3: I think it's discussed in a little bit in our article and also in the the other articles that have recently come out, the International Consensus Statement, and I think there was one out of Italy, but they talked about using the least amount of pressure or tension. It's kind of a newer term that's been introduced in the consensus statement, or not ours, the International Consensus Statement on Types of Convexity. But I think that using the least amount that is necessary to provide a seal. So if we if we look at it that way, and I think that it's easier to get um, consensus or nurses to be comfortable about putting convexity in when they think they have a softer, more compressible convexity, because it's creating less tension. So I think a lot of it depends on what you have available in the hospital, of course. But I think, I think basically, that's probably what I would tell people is use the softest amount of convexity or that you need to secure that seal, and then you work up. The same as convexity in the immediate post-op period, the consensus statement says should be considered if you need it for a a seal. So it's like you don't want to go, and the articles actually say this, that you shouldn't use just a set order to say, okay, use flat, and then use this soft convexity, and then use this firm convexity, and then use this deep. It should not be a set direction or a a set of rules that you have to follow. Just like Dr. Raskin was talking about, you know you're gonna need convexity from the get-go, then just start with that. So I think that assessment should play the most important role rather than a set of
2: rules or a step-by-step process that you have. To me, I completely agree with that. And I will say one of the challenges from a surgical perspective is when we're selecting in the operating room, what to start with remind yourself these patients are flat they are supine they are not in any kind of chair like configuration at all and it's not an appropriate way to know what they need but if you can already tell in a flat position what they need it's going to raise your awareness to say okay when they're up they're moving around i need to see what that looks like again i need to say to my uh, nursing team that's working with me Let's examine this patient to see, I'm, I'm concerned they may need a soft convexity, or I may say up front, they're going to need a, a firm convexity from the get-go based off of how I'm seeing them supine at the end of the operation. But we have to own that, right? We got to be aware. We got to raise the awareness of that this is just a snapshot in, 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 the, in the view of that patient. The dynamic assessment is what's really necessary you know, when the patient's walking in the halls, when they are even just sitting in their chair or somewhat reclined in their hospital bed, find out how that looks even early on. And um, they don't have to be leaking bile yet because it doesn't have to be that the stoma's producing yet, but look at it, we have to look at how the appliance fits on the abdomen when they're in those positions. And That's what I want surgeons and residents and medical students to be aware of. And that's what I'm constantly, you know, kind of instituting these criteria that I want them to meet so that they feel like they can make a decision about that. And it doesn't have to be, I'll wait till our ostomy experts see a patient. Not only are we enabling um, nurses to do what they think is right by saying, there's evidence behind your instincts, but we're also enabling physicians to work at the top of their uh, ability in ostomy mm-hmm. care, which we haven't historically done.
3: And I think that the, the nurse in the hospital and, and actually the home health nurse too, because patients come home and go, oh, it was, the home health nurses I feel bad for, especially when they they don't have a WOC nurse there, but they're hearing from the patient, oh, I didn't have a problem in the hospital. I, it never leaked in the hospital. And they're looking at their home health nurse going, why can't you fix this? Well, you know, that's an education, too, that in the hospital, the patients need to understand, you know, just like from the OR, where they're flat and not moving, to their room, where they start mobility, they're they're not as active. And then as they become active, then their needs change. And so again, that assessment is so important. I have a great example. Just this week, I had a patient that has a bridge in, um, a loop colostomy. And I put them in a one piece flexible pouch because I could get that underneath that bridge and it held great, had great wear time. I know when that bridge comes out, he's going to need convexity. There's no question in my mind. So that's what I ordered for them at home. Gave them a few flat pouches because that's what they need for, for this short period of time until they're going to get that bridge out in about four or five days. And then they're going to need convexity. So I already anticipated that. And that's what the home health nurse needs to know, hey, you know, and I talk to them and say, this is kind of what, what you're going to see that order come in, and this is why. So, again, it's that education of the assessment is so
2: important. I, I like that example because that's a perfect real time example. Honestly, I think it's that dynamic approach with good communication that's at the heart of this. And that's, like, that's why the consensus statement was such a great project to work on together, getting really granular on how we should
1: be doing this work. For clinicians that are hesitant to use convexity, either in the immediate post period or any other way in phases of care, how would you gain their confidence and what is one key point that you'd like to share with them?
2: I have to be honest. I don't think that most surgeons even know that it's possible. They just they take what you give them in the operating room, right? So I think the first thing I would do is and this is actually very relevant with the uh, consensus statement is that we submitted an abstract to the American Society of Colorectal Surgeons and it got accepted to, to publish our work with a consensus statement, right? And in fact, it's it's been nominated as one of the best abstracts of the year. And so our poster is going in showing this information. So honestly, it's starting the conversation it's making ostomy care more of a surgical topic uh, as opposed to relegating it to a nursing topic alone like Janet has said make time for it and i would say put that thought and energy into it up front and put that energy into it at the resident intern level and move it onward and any surgeon graduating from a program ought to be able to demonstrate competency in ostomy technique and ostomy care. That has not been something that has been historically done. We have to show proficiency in certain areas of surgery. For example, the use of um, electrocautery devices or energy devices, the use of laparoscopic equipment. But could you imagine making that a criterion? for surgeons graduating that they had to demonstrate to a wound ostomy continence nurse that they can change an appliance, apply and select the right appliance for a patient. I would be so overjoyed to see that, <laughs> that <be> as great. <laughs> part of the educational process, right? I mean, that would be really changing the way ostomy care is delivered to the world, but we don't have that yet.
1: In all honesty, that's not education that's received in nursing school either. They're not taught a lot about ostomies, how to select a barrier, how to change a pouch. And we can't expect people to know things that we don't educate them on. I know when I was in nursing school, I didn't learn about ostomies. I didn't learn until I went back for specialty training. And as far as I know from what I've talked to students, it's not something they're teaching today. So there's a lot of value in teaching our up and comings, whether it be physicians or nurses about ostomies and ostomy care. You might not see a lot of ostomy patients, but the ones you do see definitely are going to benefit from you having a little bit of knowledge. And I think a lot of times people just think, oh, ostomy care is easy. You just slap a pouch on there.
3: I had a surgeon, this was years ago, and he used to tell me that. He said, just tell me what pouch you put on. He says, I can do that. Until his mother had an ileostomy that was a difficult challenge. He changed his whole tune. Because it was, it came home to him. So I think that, and it's like anything, any profession. I think you, you don't know how much is involved until you get into it, and I think that's that's true in ostomy care. So I think in nursing school, it's not really perceived as a high need item. They don't understand it might be again low volume, but it's high need.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: So how would I convince somebody? Back to your original question. I think telling them that the evidence isn't there, that they're gonna cause a mucutaneous separation. And just the fact that we've had this consensus statement and we had a couple surgeons on that consensus panel that are advocating that it's okay to use it again, back to what we said in the beginning, giving them permission to use Mm -hmm. that. It's not going to disrupt that surgical stitching around there. You're not going to, you know, you're not causing the problem. So one, giving them permission and giving them permission from a surgeon's perspective. I think that's one thing. So they need to know that the evidence isn't there, that we're creating problems, that they've said it's okay. I think that for personally, if it was me, I would tell them my experience of using way before soft, mm-hmm. I used firm. But I think that if you're uncomfortable, the, I, the the fact that we have the soft convexity now, we have shallow convexity, we have light convexity, we have soft convexity, all those terms. And again, we need to define those better for sure. But to use something like a soft convexity first and get your feet on the ground with that and feel comfortable with that. But that this consensus statement says it's okay to use it. So we don't have evidence, but we have consensus from a panel of experts that say it's okay. So that's kind of my, would be my approach to get someone comfortable with taking
2: that big step. And again, we show that many people are using it in that period of time. It's kind of like, Everybody's doing it, but nobody's talking about it. Which there you, you know, there's a lot of other areas of life where we could draw parallels, right? But <laughs> part of it is is literally just having the confidence to do the right thing. And if our experience has shown us that, you know, who cares if the evidence is there yet? We can speak anecdotally be- about our patients' lives and quality of life is not measured as often as we're looking at really concrete you know, data, I would say that we gotta trust our gut and that's really no pun intended, but well, actually it is intended. We gotta <laughs> trust our gut on this one, right? Well, I like it that what you said, two things, you said confidence to
3: do the right thing, but I think before that was permission to do the right thing and then the confidence to move forward to do that right thing. Sure. So both of those things really hit home there. And I think yeah. that consensus statement backs that up for us. Absolutely.
1: We've really identified that communication and education are necessary, but what other research would enhance a change in practice regarding the use in convexity in the immediate post-op period?
3: I would love to see a really good study about the differences between soft and regular convexity. Does it change anything if you use one versus the other? And then I really think that mucutaneous separations have to be looked at and really and looked at all the comorbidities and what comorbidities really factor in to having that
2: mucutaneous separation
3: happen that's kind of what I would like to see.
2: Another area I could envision doing research is really looking at what we're most concerned about, which is the pressure and the tension that's created on that uh, uh, that vulnerable skin and soft tissue can we do the research to look at those readings when either firm convexity is used or soft convexity is used and is there a significant difference between that and when a flat pouch is used in a way that leads to a problem because you know yes the answer is yes it will create different tension and different pressure but is it clinically significant the research is there to do it's just that we've got to put attention onto our ostomates out there. And historically, it's been something people don't talk enough about. So this is why a podcast on this topic is brilliant. Once again, we're exposing the need and creating lines of communication.
1: Do either of you have anything else that you would like to add based on the convexity consensus?
2: Um, I think the big thing is people need to read it. They need to read it and they need to internalize it. And then if any of this information that we've talked about lights a light bulb above your head or you know, stirs something in you is to start talking to colleagues and like-minded individuals to make a difference. If you're a surgeon out there listening, think about those things we talked about, how your role is important in the future of that ostomate's life. I think that's my big message.
3: Yeah, I have to agree. Read the consensus statement. You know, the considerations are there. Nothing's hard, fast rule, except that you can use convexity whenever. You can consider it at any time in the post-op period, but that consideration should be based on your assessment of the stoma
2: and the peristomal contours. And then feel comfortable that we're giving you permission to do the right thing. (laughs) And then gain confidence that you are doing the right thing. Doing the right thing, exactly.
1: Thank you both so much for being with us today. This has been fantastic information and I really appreciate your insight. Thank you for the invitation. It's been great and great to talk with you again and see you, Dr. Raskin.
2: I know this has been a joy to talk with Michelle and also to see my good friend and colleague Janet and um, talk about things that we're all passionate about. So thank you for the opportunity.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Bowel and Bladder Matters Podcast, part of Coloplast Professional, where we believe clinician education related to ostomies and continence matters. For more educational resources from Coloplast, visit us at coloplast.us slash
1: professional.